Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Allison Panisi, and you are our listeners, and as always, we thank you for joining us. We want you to come back as often as you can, so feel free to listen to Prep Talk on your favorite podcast provider. You can also follow us on social media, on Twitter at NYC Emergency MGT, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and much more. This episode of Prep Talk is dedicated to the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks. September 11, 2001 was a tragic day that had a profound impact on all of us. Today, we share the stories of past and present New York City emergency management staff and first responders. Each bravely shares how this event changed the field as we know it. Here are a few stories from Andrew Diamora, Janet Rivera, Tom Barkowski, and Kamari Ramsaru. Yeah, I was uh, a lieutenant in the 112 precinct. Um, first of all, I can't even believe it's uh, 20 years. Um, so um, it's just uh, an amazing thing that time has passed on so quickly. So I was with the department uh, for 11 years when 9-11 happened. Like I said, I was a lieutenant in the 112 precinct, and I'll just never forget that that morning. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. Uh, it was my daughter, my oldest daughter's first day of kindergarten. So we got up early, we got her dressed, we were gonna take pictures. And then uh, um, I didn't have a cell phone then. I just remember getting a call at home that a plane had hit the uh, World Trade Center. When I found the first plane hit, I got a phone call. We turned on the TV right away and said, wow, that's it looks like, you know, at the, the first the onset, I said, wow, the plane, there was an accident. You know, it looks like a plane hit the Trade Center. And then it, it kicked in in my head about the 93 bombing because uh, my father-in-law was in the Trade Center when the 93 bombing happened. And I said, okay, that sounds a little, I mean, it's too, too ironic. And then uh, as I was preparing to get, get into work, um, the second plane hit. I said, oh, forget it. You know, everybody knew then it was definitely a terrorist attack. A lot of people were in the street, you know, and it usually takes me about, I don't know, half hour to get to the precinct and it, it took me uh, like almost double the time to get there I just couldn't traffic was just uh, you know the congestion was just crazy people in the street figuring out hey what's going on um, and so by the time I got to the precinct uh, the tower already uh, already fell and where the 120 precinct is it's right at the foot of the ferry, Staten Island ferry terminal so you could see clearly um, you know what had happened in fact, the plane, one of the planes had flew right over the precinct, the guys had told me, so at a low altitude, so they knew what, what was going on. So we were waiting for, because the ferry was right there, so we did send some uh, cops onto the other side. We were trying to figure out, hey, how, what are we going to do on the Staten Island side originally? Uh, word was that we were going to start receiving injured and dead on the Staten Island ferry, you know, bring them back. There's a ball field right across from the precinct would it be triage or possibly even the morgue? But that obviously never materialized um, because of, uh, you know, when the second tower had collapsed, you know, there was very, very uh, few, uh, you know, injured or deceased that were found. Um, but um, it was definitely uh, a lot of confusion at first, I would think, you know, until everybody got their, tried to get their arms around it. I'm talking about as a department, um, you know, working through operations, because you don't want to have a, everybody, you would have all 76 precincts responding, right? So you have to have some sort of command and control of like who's doing what. 
um, one of the biggest things I remember that day is that as soon as that happened, I remember all the precincts that the 120 got flooded with retired cops, retired firemen, and just average people just want to help. What could I do? You know, so that was just a, a big, uh, you know, trying to manage that too. Hey, what could we do? Okay, we're going to see what's going on. I remember I, got, I grabbed one of my sergeants and we grabbed uh, like five cops and we went into Manhattan. Um, primarily the, uh, the cops that were me, their brothers were missing. So we spent, um, you know, in between, um, you know, just massive, uh, you know, the material and the smoke and everything else, the, um, trying to find relatives, right? I mean, that's what everybody was looking to do. So um, it was, uh, that was a try, a very trying day. I mean, I, I can't, you know, you know, people, you get emotional about it because, you know, of uh, um, the experience, but, you know, you try to try to lead the guys and, and try to help out the best way you can. As well, like we were trying to search for uh, these cops, missing brothers. I think a couple of them were firemen. Some of them were business people that worked, maybe Canna Fitzgerald. Or, um, so I remember I said, oh, my cousin is a fireman in Engine 239. I said, uh, you know, I was thinking about him a lot. And um, so I remember that night we stayed, probably, it felt like days, you know, just in, in at ground zero uh, from September 11th on, but um, I remember seeing his engine outside a building, engine 230, it had to be like three in the morning on the 12th. I said, wow. I said, his engine 230, I remember grabbing the farm's engine 230, I remember running in into the lobby of the building and there was a whole bunch of firemen, just, they were just exhausted. They were just taking a break. They were all out, cold, sleeping. And I found my cousin sleeping. I remember I woke him up. I said, I said Glenn, you're you're okay, you're right. I gave him a big hug, and I was just so happy to see him. And then uh, I let him come back. I remember him telling me afterwards, he goes, you left, and then, you know, he couldn't, he, could, he didn't know what happened afterwards, but I made contact with him. But So thank God he was okay. But unfortunately, the guys I was with, all their brothers had uh, died in the Trade Center, and um, it, was, it was very difficult. And then the days afterwards, you know, just working on the pile and, Really just trying to, uh, you know, going back and forth. I think I was one of the last cars that were allowed on the Staten Island Ferry. You know, we brought, you know, traveled back and forth on, on the ferry. Um, and uh, I just, you know, it was supposed to be uh, a morning of, you know, bringing my daughter to kindergarten, first day, taking pictures. It turned out to be, you know, the worst day in our lives, right? That was the worst day. It was so surreal. I thought I was in a movie. Everything just blew up. I could hear glass, you know, the breeze was already coming down, but the glass, when it went boom, 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 boom. I almost saw it like lit up, and then, shh, hear the glass break. I had a little, like, jean jacket on. I put that over my head, and I found shelter in a garage, so. And that was scary. Until, and then I ran. I was like, once I heard everything subsiding, the glass, I just ran off to 16th Street where I used to live and my aunt and my dad was still down there. So I ran, ran, ran and you know, I had clogs on, I wanted to take a taxi. I had clogs, by the time I got to my aunt's house on 60th Street, I had blisters like on each foot and I was like, I gotta go pick up my kid. I went right up to her house, they're like, you want anything, pills, gummies? I'm like, no, I need to be full alert. So we went up to the roof 
my cousin and I, and we just looked because she had the she could see the World Trade Center, and it was, seemed like it was melting, moving, and then it just started collapsing, and I was like just torn apart. So my next thing was like put on some socks and let's go and get my kid. She, you know, she went to school, Catholic school in Chelsea. She was like 10 years old and I was just so glad to pick her up. I was hysterical and we just walked from 20th Street to 54th Street where I lived. And um, she had a friend at school like in the same grade, had lost her father who was on like the 100th floor or something. So it was really traumatic. I thought I would never see her again. And that's all that I worried about was my kid at that last moment. My God, I'm gonna die, this is it. I gotta pray, but I'm thinking about Megan who's gonna take care of her. You know, who, you know, well, it was just so many things that I just, my desperation was never to see her again. That feeling, that heart was going down. I'm never gonna hug her or kiss her or any of that. So those are the thoughts that came. It was just her. And I would just beg God, please, for her, keep me here. Keep me here. I'm begging you. I want to raise her. I want to just be with her. I don't want to leave her, you know. I was a single parent, so I know my parents would have done a wonderful job if I would have never made it, but it was just that desperation just to hold, take care of my kid, and it was just that was my, please, God, just don't let me die. Let me live for her. I started working for OEM in 1996. Um, and since 96, I, was I did logistics and fleet for them, the agency, when they needed, when it was quiet. Again, this agency was just response. It, it was small. It was less than 100 people in the agency. I was in Queens and uh, Corona, Queens, right near the city field is now, Shea Stadium was. And when the planes crashed, we saw it because we had a clear shot of the city. We were right by LaGuardia Airport. We saw it, and immediately afterwards, my commissioner called me and asked me to put together trucks to bring concrete barriers and supplies down to the Trade Center. Because we knew, I guess they figured that they would have to lock down the area. And concrete barriers, sometimes referred to as Jersey barriers, would do that feat. So we loaded up trucks and we headed down to the city about four o'clock in the afternoon. You know, when we got there, we got down to Canal, uh, not Canal, uh, West Street and Chambers. And that's where the trucks were staged along West Street. And, you know, they had a, a frozen zone. And you could see why, you know, you could see the devastation. And then once I was on site, people from OEM were on site, saw me, and we, we got to talking, all right, can you help us with this? Can you help us with that? And it ran just, okay, got involved with that, and somebody else took care of the barriers. I was now tasked with working with OEM. Can't remember the, to the day who, who asked, but Calvin was on site, Tim Brown, there were some people, and we just got vehicles for them. We, we procured vehicles from other agencies because we the agency had lost probably a dozen vehicles that were parked at, Seven World Trade. You know, so you had occasional, we had a, PN92 was the operation center that Commissioner Jackson set up in 36 hours. And you could never tell it was a sh shipping terminal after it was done. There was a day we also had to get the fire trucks. Going back to October, 
there were a lot of fire trucks that were crushed at the, at the Trade Center, and they were stored on side streets away from the actual work, but every time the firemen would come in to do their work, they would be passing by these you know, crushed rigs. It would be upsetting. So a plan came up to move them out to the Fresh Kills landfill where they stayed for a long time. That's where all the remains were sent. We had a trailer them. Again, tasked with getting DOT involved to put them on trailers, get cranes, and we did that. And one of the first rigs that left the site, when it got up to Warren, uh, West Street and Canal, where the public was 24-7, there was always people at Canal and West clapping for all the first responders, you know, going in and out. So here we are. Where we're bringing these trucks up to the checkpoint, and the people are hysterical. I mean, crying, <laughs> crying, uh, crying, upset, fainting. At that point, with everybody being upset, the public, we backed the trucks down back where they couldn't see him. And at night, under the cover of darkness, we taught them, you know, the loads. And, you know, we knew what they were, and maybe some of the people were, but you didn't see the, you know, the damaged fire trucks. And the people, you know, there was always people there. Whether it was midnight, 2 in the morning, you know, I had one day, we had a gate, got firemen that missed their bus to go back to the, Midtown, wherever they were going, so they needed a ride. And they jumped on a gator we had, and we had six firemen in this small gator driving up West Street into Midtown. You know, we did what we needed to do, you know. So, you know, there was so many different stories of people un being unselfish, and whatever they need to do, they did. It was a nice brand new office. It was a nice area to be in, in the World Trade Center, you know, and the commute was nice, same, you know, but um, it was a really nice place to work in. I mean, I wish more people would have gotten to see what it was like. It's weird because that morning, um, I'm, I'm an early worker, so it just worked schedule-wise with my children and uh, so I always worked early. I was an eight o'clock eight to four person, and that morning when I'm leaving home, my daughter was four, it was her first day of kindergarten. And her and my son was seven, and they kept coming out of the front door, and they kept saying, bye mommy, bye mommy. I'm like, you guys go in, mom is gonna be late for work, and they kept coming out, but I wouldn't leave until they go back in the house. And I think after like the, the third time, I'm like, go back in guys, I'm gonna really be late for work now. They went back in, I called my husband, and I'm like, I'm like, get them in. But now looking back at it, everything happens for a reason. So it was, I grab a cup of coffee. We had a cafeteria in the building. I went, I grab a cup of coffee. And normally I would put my bag down and go talk to LJ. Because LJ, the way, I don't know if anyone had told you, the way the building is, we had the whole floor. LJ, we were on the south side of the building. And LJ sat on the north side of the building. And so we always, you have to like walk around the whole um, west side, east side of the building to get to LJ, to get to that side. So I always grab my coffee, 
go sit with her, we have coffee together. So it was like a normal morning that we sat and have coffee talking about family and over the weekend and, you know, normal stuff. The building shook, but again, we didn't think anything of it because there was a heliport not far from Seven World Trade Center. So when usually when it lands, you just feel a little vibration. But then we were sitting there and the building literally like shook. And then we start hearing sirens. And I'm like, Elja, let me go just check it out to see what was going on. So when you're getting back to the south side of the building, you have to pass all the window on the east side of the building. So you saw paper flying and stuff, but you didn't, I didn't, still didn't think anything of it. So I looked up, I went, when I got to the windows, I looked up and I saw smoke and you still see paper flying and, but still it doesn't hit you what was happening. And again, I thought maybe a helicopter slammed into the building accidentally. And I'm standing and I said, okay, I gotta go call Steve. He has to pick up the kids today because we're gonna activate. I'm gonna be late for work. He has to leave work and go pick up our kids. And that was my first thought was the kids. So I called him on the phone and I'm standing on the phone. I'm stretching the phone line because I didn't have a cell phone. I'm stretching one of the, the phones that was on next to desk on the window and I'm talking to him. I'm, I'm like, you know, you gotta go work. You gotta go pick up the kids, leave them. And he was like, where are you? I'm like, I'm in the building. He was like, you have to leave. And I'm like, why? I can't, you know, it's my job. It's he said, another plane just hit the building. I said, I'm looking at it, but I can't see anything. He said, well, I'm seeing it on TV. Then they were like, okay, you guys, um, some people said we're staying here. And I'm like, no, I'm getting out of this building. So we ran and Barclay Street, like right there by DC 37. They were like, everybody stay here. But all you see was paper flying, people running, screaming. And then all of a sudden, we're standing there. So our building, say if you move maybe about 10 feet over, you could see that side street, you could see straight up to the World Trade Center. And I'm looking, we're looking to see what was happening. And all you see, not realizing, these were bodies coming down. I heard a cop coming, like running on this street, coming up from the trade center. He was like, run. And we're looking. And then Nandy was like, okay, we got to run now. And all of, before we turned around to start running south, all you see was a, a smoke, a ball of smoke just coming. That when the building, the first building was coming down. And me and Nandy looked at each other like, I said, put your ID on if we die, at least we have that identification on us. Let's hold on each other and let's run. And she was like, okay, I said, put your ID on, come on. And she was like, as she looked at me, she, I said, you have to, because look what's coming. I said, let's run, let's give it all effort. You couldn't see anything north or south of, uh, on Barclay Street, because everything was covered in smoke and dust and paper. All I can picture is a lot of paper, office paper, just all over the place and the dust and screaming and fire trucks and police car and all you see was dust. But later that day, we actually walked home. We were, me and Nandy was crisscrossing Manhattan because every time we 
we walked, we go, to, we go east, you see, we didn't realize that the fire, fly, the fire jet, the flighter jets was flying all over New York City, was protecting, but we didn't know that. So every time we go east, we see that we run back to west. So we were crisscrossing, we were trying to get on a bus to get home. So we walked until we got to 96th Street. So my mom worked at Mount Sinai at the time. And right in front of Mount Sinai, we found a phone, a street phone, because like I said, I didn't have a cell phone. And we didn't have OEM phone then either. I found a, cell, I found a street phone and I called my husband. And he thought we were dead. Because after I spoke to him early in the day about working late, we didn't speak back to him. I didn't speak back to him. So at that point, he was, I called him and he was like, he picked up the phone and he was like, I said, hi. And he's like, you're alive? And I'm like, I'm talking to you. Yeah, I'm alive. And of course, I started to cry. And he was like, where are you? And I'm like, and then I told him where I was. I'm like, but he was like, I can't come get you. They're not letting no one in Manhattan. So I said, how do I get home? He said, I want you to, you know, he's telling me, walk all the way First Avenue, go over the Third Avenue Bridge. There's a um, gas, the Willis Avenue Bridge. There's a gas station at the corner. Just sit there and wait for me. I'm going to come get you guys. That's the closest I can come to you, and that's what we did. And um, my brother was there to pick us up because he couldn't leave the kids. And um, he's, after the fact, I found that he was trying to tell them that your mom is not coming home. You know, at that point, he was like, I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. How are you going to explain to them that I left them that morning and I'm not coming home to them? But thank God that I made it home that day, and um, I made it home, and I got home like I think like four o'clock that afternoon, and I sat on the couch, and I turned the TV on because I'm curious to see what was happening. And as I'm sitting, Seven World Trade Center just keep tumbling down, and you know, I mean, selfishly, I'm like, oh my God, what am I gonna do now for a job? I'm thinking about I have a family, I have a mortgage, and I'm like, nothing that I'm safe, that I made it out is like, everything else came to mind. And then my husband looked at me and he was like, you'll be fine, you're home. If you'd like to hear more of these stories, you can visit New York City Emergency Management's website and its YouTube channel. May we never forget the 2,977 victims, their families, and the survivors. Thank you for listening.